Why do we worship? I mean, we do it every week in a sense, right? And um, we, uh, we have this musical aspect where we're singing songs we just finished and we have it every, at the end. But why? Why do we worship? Why do we have this musical aspect? Um, maybe for some of you, you re can really connect with the music. It's an emotional aspect. The words and the lyrics speak into you. Um, but maybe it doesn't actually connect to you. Maybe the musical aspect is not your preference. Maybe the genre is not your preference. You might prefer hip-hop, rap, or EDM, or anything like that. That's my preference. Um, maybe it's just uh, you don't prefer singing. Uh, I never was a person who liked to go karaoke. Maybe you uh, <laughs> share that sentiment with me. And so why do we do it? Why is this happening here? I want to press into that question and figure out, you know, why do we worship? Why do we worship right before this morning, worship after? And I want to press into this because I think sometimes in our church traditions, we put a lot of emphasis on the sermon. We put a lot of emphasis on the message, and you know, we, we come here and we, it's okay to kind of be a little bit late and miss the worship. It's a little okay to maybe check out and not participate. Um, and so I want to explore this reason of why are we worshiping um, and try to reclaim this idea of worship. And I think the psalmist in Psalm 96 will teach us today about what it means to worship. So I'm going to read it out loud. You guys can follow along. Um, but I will be using the text, and, I would, and I'll ask you guys, actually, I would prefer if you guys use the Bibles that you have in front of your pews. So I want you to see the whole thing. I'm going to show how the rhythms of the psalm and how it develops. So as you're looking in, let's turn to Psalm 96. It's on page 525 in the pew Bibles. If you want to use your phone, that's okay, but I will be using the, the Bibles here with the uh, Christian Standard Version. It's on page 525 in your pew Bible. I'll read it out loud. You can just follow along. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and is highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the, pe the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and enter into his court. Uh, enter his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It, it cannot be shaken. He judges the people fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in it them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Today we're going to be exploring about why do we worship, and I want to do it in three parts. First part is we're going to really understand the text. What is the message of this text saying? Second part, we're going to understand the context. Sure, the psalm is probably used in many different contexts, but there's one part of the Bible that we actually see this uh, psalm appear. So we're going to look at the context to kind of develop our understanding. And then finally, of course, what does that have to do with us? How does it apply to our lives today? So as we're dealing with poetry, I think I, I really love poetry, and there's many aspects of poetry that we want to really notice and understand this medium of the rhythms and the movements of poetry. Um, 
And the first thing I want to, uh, there's two things I want us to notice, and these are two tools I actually want to give you so that any time you read a psalm, you can be starting to think about using these tools to understand the deeper meanings of this psalm. The two things are repetition and development. Development is in every psalm. You kind of start off with an idea. Maybe it's worship, we see here. Maybe, you know, it's God's faithfulness, or maybe it's in a lament, but it develops. No psalm will stay the same, but it'll kind of develop through an idea. It'll kind of wave up and down here. And so we want to notice that. Even though it might sound the same, it does have nuances, and that's significant. And some psalms have this repetition. I mean, it sounds pretty repetitive here to an extent, right? But we're going to explore about how there's a repeat to kind of affirm an idea, but then there's a break in the repeat, and that break is significant. Let me give you an example. Um, there's this popular song that Logic has uh, released recently called 1-800. Uh, I'm sure most of us have heard it on the radio, right? Um, it's a song about suicide, and the chorus, um, I, I'm kind of blanking on the lyrics, but you guys probably know, it's like, it says, like, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to be, oh, I don't want to be alive anymore, right? And so it's a song that talks about suicide, and the chorus goes, I don't want to be alive anymore. I don't want to be alive anymore. Um, but then later in the, in, the, in the song, the chorus plays again, but it changes. It says, I don't want to die anymore. I don't want to die anymore. Usually in our pop songs, we have that kind of repetition of the chorus, right? But what's significant about Logic's song is that he takes the same kind of structure, but he changes it a little bit. And he's kind of communicate this message of the caller wanting to commit suicide, but then he changes his mind, right? So it's kind of the same idea. That's what I'm trying to communicate. There's a repetition, but there's a change, too. We want to notice that. Okay. So with all that said, I want to look at this text and see what is the structure, what is happening here in this. I'd like to suggest to you, as you're looking at this full psalm here, that it's in two parts. From verses 1 to 6 is one part, and then from verses 7 to 13. And I think uh, if I could just musically kind of describe the song, it kind of goes like in a three-part kind of a song where it goes, bum, 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 bum. So almost the same thing, but the second part is a little bit elongated. Two parts with three, three aspects each. Boom, boom, boom. But what are those three parts? If you look at me, I'm starting at verse 1. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. It starts with a call to worship right away. And that same part in verse 1 and 2 is the same one in verse 7, 8, and 9. These two aspects are first a call to worship. The second part starting in verse 3, and maybe the, the first, second half of verse 2, it says, declare his glory among the nations. There's an outward call that says, go out there and to declare among the nations. That phrase, among the nations, is exactly the same in verse 10, right? So that's the second part, the bum bum. So each has a, a call to worship, and then an outward call to proclaim God's name, what God has done. And then finally, it gives a reason. It gives rightful glory for the king. And you get to understand God a little bit more. So I just want to recap this. So both of them have a call to worship in the beginning. At verses 1 and 2 and verses 7 through 9. You can see that. Then verses 3 and then verses 10. Both have an outward call for the people to go out there and to tell people about God. And then from the rest of the section. So from verses 4 to 6 and then from verses 11 to the 13. Are both an expression of who God is. So, does that make sense? Are you guys catching along? And so, what I really want to focus on here, um, once we understand the structure of a call to worship, that an outward, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, an outward command for the hearers to go out there, and then finally, an explanation of the rightful king. 
with this, there's a development here too. That's not just a boom, 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 but there's a development that changes. And so what I see here is that at the very beginning it says, it calls all of the earth to worship. It says, let the whole earth sing to the Lord. All of creation come before him. And in the second part, it says, tell the people about God. So it goes from creation and then goes to people. And what does it say after? It says that God is the true and rightful God. All these other things out here, they're fake gods. They're only creations. But God is the rightful God. He is the creator. So off of that, he actually continues to build off. Then he goes in the second half, the second boom, boom, boom. And it says, after you told the people, right, it calls them, all peoples come to worship. It says, ascribe to the Lord, you families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. And at this point, it's developed where the call to worship has moved to the people, and they understand that this is the rightful God. That all other gods, right, are just creations. All our gods are just idols. But this is the rightful God. And it takes, as it says, ascribe glory. Now, I want to present this word glory, which is kavod in Hebrew. Um, when we say glory, what does that mean? What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know if you, if you grow up in church, you might hear the word glory, glory, glory. But I never really understood, like, you know, what, is, what does this actually mean? Um, is it nice? Is it just another majestic kind of spectacular word? I think that the technical definition you could say is maybe reputation. Right? There's a recognition, the reputation of God. Uh, but I really want to press into the Hebrew a little bit that this word kavol, this word glory, actually is a little bit of a pun because the root of this word, if you just change the vowels a little bit to kavet, it actually means weight. And I think that's true, that anyone that has reputation has a weight to it. You know, if someone was to knock on your door and says, hey, it's your, it's your mother, it's your father, or it's the police, or it's like, you know, Barack Obama, or, you know, a celebrity, right? You know, that has weight to it, right? All of a sudden, you'll, you'll tense up, you might have to, you know, clean everything up. There's a, there's a power and there's a weight to that reputation. And there's a way that you will react to someone if they have intense, big reputation, right? As opposed to maybe just a stranger or a casual friend. And so I think the idea is that this is the rightful God that we see here. And now when you're calling us to worship, we have to understand this is a weighty God. This is the rightful God that we worship here. What happens after is that he once again says, tell among the people, go out there, that God is judge. So I don't know about you, but this, kind of, this is like one of those significant breaks that we see here. Because only in verse 10 do we see a line that's actually a little more elongated. All of them are kind of like two-line verses. This one is the only one that kind of juts out and it's like kind of abruptly and uh, has this line where it says that, oh, sorry, not verse 10. Um, verse, oops, word, sorry, one second. Oh, yeah, sorry, it is verse 10. It's uh, at the end. It says, he judges the people fairly. Sorry, my eyes. <laughs> uh, it says the judges the people fairly. And I don't know about you, but that kind of sticks out to me. Why does all of a sudden it changes to judging? And from that, that judgment about that, the fact that God is a judger, kind of hijacks the rest of the thing, and it actually concludes in the fact that God will be the judge of the world with righteousness um, and with faithfulness. When we hear the word judge, I think it's easy to kind of hijack it and fill that definition with a lot of our own culture and perspective. I think nowadays, I think in one sense, it's good that, us, that we're developing deeper acceptance. Uh, we're talking about things like intolerance, all these kind of things. But that's not what this word means. I'd like to suggest to you that when the Bible uses the word judge, it means to make things 
right. That when God judges, it's not about just being angry or wrathful or anything like that. It's about looking at those things and how can we make things right? And for many of us, we know that things are wrong. I, this past week, I think, or these past couple weeks, or maybe even these past months, many of us have been afflicted with a lot of things that have been wrong. Uh, with things like death or being fired. Um, it's just... Um, it's just a lot for us, right? And I think we can recognize that we are in desperate need. Um, we, we desperately want things to be right again. We have felt the hurt and the wrongness of the world over our lives. When it says that God has come to judge, he's come to make things right. This is where it concludes on. That this rightful God that we see is not like all other gods. Who is, what is this God like? He is a God who makes all things He's come to make things right for all creation, for us. So I bring all this analysis, I bring all these kind of things to kind of answer that question of why do we worship? And I kind of want to move backwards. At the conclusion of each of these parts, we learn something about God. That God is the rightful God, and that God is the one that makes all things right. And it's from that that we see the psalmist say, let's worship him. It is good and it is right for us to worship him. That there's a, there's a weight of God's reputation that almost demands that the best, the, the only and the best way to react to this is to sing a new song, is to ascribe to him proper glory. And it is right for us to worship the rightful God who makes all things right. And so that's the question, that's one question I can ask for us. Are we, do we have the right mindset when it comes to worship? Are we understanding that we're worshiping not because it's for us, it's not for emotions, or not just because it's music, but we're worshiping because this is a rightful God who is making all things right? I honestly really struggled with worship growing up. I just never, again, I don't like karaoke or singing or anything like that. And so one time I was at my collegiate fellowship at NYU, and we were having kind of like a, kind of a service, something like this, on campus. And there was a worship time, and they were singing, and I just was not singing. I just didn't want to, just not my, you know, my musical preference or anything like that. And so I just kind of checked out. And so my friend next to me, Ray, he asked me, hey, you know, uh, why aren't you worshiping? Why aren't you singing? And I said, you know, I just, uh, it's, it's not my preference of music. It's just not like what I'm used to. It's not, this is not for me. And he said something that honestly changed my perspective for worship ever, forever and ever. He said, Kevin, maybe worship's not about you. Maybe worship is about God. And it was very convicting, and it was very true that, wow, all this time we had these conversations that, oh, worship should be like this, worship should be like that. Oh, I don't like the genre of this music. I don't like the genre of that music. And all these kind of things. In all these ways, we've made it too much about us. When worship, at the very heart of it, is about a rightful God who demands rightful worship from us. And with that... I've had to process and press through that, yeah, sometimes I don't want to sing. Sometimes I don't like the genre. There is still no EDM <laughs> worship songs that we sing here, right? And so I probably will never be able to have a genre of worship music here unless, uh, I don't know, we can develop like a DJ system or something like that. But when I come to worship here at Mosaic, when I come to worship at any church, I have to check myself and realize, wait a second, this is not about just me. This is about encountering and worshiping the rightful God. And I think with that, God really takes that and he honors it. 
And I found that as the years have gone by, when I, when I really mean years, I don't mean days or weeks or months, years that God's been developing my heart, God's created a new appreciation for me where I've really been emotionally much more involved and engaged and spiritually engaged with the worship. And I say that, that yeah, honestly, um, it's taken time, but I think it's also, I needed, I needed that, what Ray said, a new attitude of understanding what worship was. It's not about the music, it's not about the genre, it's about the rightful God who makes all things right. And I think I'm talking a lot about the rightful God and all things right and the right way of worship. And a lot of that of what I'm kind of building off of is actually the context. So I'm actually going to step out of the text a little bit to understand where is the context of this psalm that's sung. And if you look in your, if you ever use like the Bible app, um, at least the Bible, Bible app that I use, if you turn to the Christian Standard Version, it has a ton of those footnotes that kind of shows like, oh, where is this found elsewhere in this psalm or that psalm? And then one reference that I keep on finding was First Chronicles 16, over and over again. So, okay, well, if I'm going to preach this, I've got to look up First Chronicles 16, so I've read that story. Um, and so what is leading up to the story is the controversy of Uzzah. Uh, maybe you might have heard of this controversy where people kind of have some beef and some struggles with the story where during that time, God has manifested his presence in many different ways. You know, so we heard of the burning bush story maybe, or you know how um, nowadays it's like, or sometimes in the temple, right, or nowadays it's in the church. But during that one of those times, it was within the ark. And so it's kind of this, this, uh, this wooden box that would be with his people and God's presence would be manifested there. And so, a few, a few chapters actually between First Chronicles, I think First Chronicles 14 or 13, um, they're moving this ark, the manifest presence of God, and they found this cart to put it into. And as they're moving it, the cart starts to wobble, and the ark is about to slip out, and Uzzah uh, stops, tries to stop it, and as soon as he touches the ark, he instantly dies. And so many people point to this as saying, wow, what the heck, this is so unfair, God is a bad God, he's unrightful, all those kind of things. But I like to suggest the fact that this is just the, it's not necessarily an issue of morality or unfairness. This is just the reality of what God is. That God is a holy and is a rightful God. That if we're going to approach a God and we're going to touch his presence, it is powerful. It is, and it is, um, it will destroy and it, 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 is, it will overwhelm anyone who comes near it, at least during that time. I think the analogy is the fact that if you have a burning furnace, right, a burning boiler, and if ever, ever, anyone has to touch it, right, our, hot, our hands will just be burnt. Um, if a kid touches it, if we touch it, and it's not the fact that the boiler hates us or the furnace hates us or doesn't like us. It's just the reality that that's the power of that boiler and that furnace. And that's kind of the idea that's happened here, that the power of this ark, which is incredibly powerful. But it's not just that, though. What we discover later is that two chapters later in 1 Chronicles 16, David the king has realized, wait a second, we messed up. We were not carrying this ark in the right way. Um, I think the analogy uh, of being is, you know, I've mentioned uh, Barack Obama, let's say, you know, uh, I think it's a figure that many of us will probably uh, like, you might not agree with everything he says, but let's say Barack Obama comes to visit us. And, he, and it's, wow, this great glory, you know, great heavy weight that he's here, and like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And he says, hey, you know, I want to get a ride with you. Uh, can you take me to the subway? Or can you drive me to the subway or drive me over, right? Now, if Barack Obama was going to ride in our car, you know, we'd probably ask him, like, you know, hey, which seat do you want? You know, do you want the front seat? Maybe you want to take the back seat? Whatever's best for you, right? We would not open up the trunk for him. 
We wouldn't open up a trunk and say, hey, uh, Obama, President Obama, or uh, hey, get in here. I mean, it would be almost insulting for him, right? It'd be, he would just look at us like as if we were ridiculous. But that's the analogy here. That God's manifest presence is so honorable and so holy, right? Just as, if, as an honored figure amongst us. But in fact, when the Uzzah instance, they carried it in an ark, a little cart. It was, it was disgraceful for God. It was like the trunk of a car. And so what David did was, okay, we messed up. And he called the Levites together and said, this is the way that we're going to carry. We're going to carry it amongst poles and on our shoulders and truly give honor and rightful worship to this God. And with that, they bring him back, the, the ark back, and they celebrate. And that's where they sing this song. That's when they start to worship and they understand, okay, we put God back in the right place. Not in the trunk of our car. Not in some random cart that was going to wobble around. We put him that, the way that God has described us to, uh, to do. And now we can celebrate and sing this song. For us to worship a rightful God who makes all things right, we must worship him with the right heart, in the right way, right? with a humble heart that yields to him and submits to him. So as I say this, what does this mean for us to worship? What does it mean for us to come before God? Um, I think even before we go there, I really want to press on the fact that this is a God that makes all things right. I think for some of us, and even for me sometimes, I struggle to worship, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. I struggle to worship when things are tough. I want to recognize that these past couple weeks have been tough for many of us. And some tough for people who are not even here, right, in our midst right now. People who have gone through funerals and lost jobs and all these kind of things. Um, I think in this time... We, it's hard to worship God. So I want to press into the, the second fact that we have to understand that this is a God who makes all things right. I don't remember the last time I told my testimony about how I came to believe in God, but I think it's after really just realizing the pain of our church's growing, I think it's appropriate. Um, see, I, I didn't grow up in a place that, <laughs> that really liked church, or I actually, to be honest, I hated church. So I feel actually very akin to the kids in the children's ministry that run around and fight and all these kind of things. I just hated church. Um, and so growing up, um, it wasn't until I got into the middle school and high school time that I started to really take God more seriously um, through, through the love of the youth pastor there. But see, uh, I had developed um, a very legalistic way of looking at God, a way that was very scared of God, um, and a way that God was looking at me to punish me. And so after many years, I got too, too tired of worshiping the scary, uh, legalistic, powerful God, and so I threw it all away. The senior year of my high school year, when I, before I went to college, I said, I don't want to believe in God anymore. Um, but after I went to college, I, understood, I uh, heard the true gospel, the, the gospel of grace. Not a gospel that says God, um, not a, God, a gospel of karma where um, God, uh, uh, the good works you do will result in blessings, and your failures and sins will result in curses. But to God that says, I will die for your sins, and I will love you even when you sin. And so that was incredibly powerful for me. But for me, I still have not experienced the, the manifest presence, the manifest fact that God will make all things right. So I bring that story up. I wasn't planning on saying it, but I think... Today, for many of us, we need to understand that this is a God who makes all things right. Uh, 
And there's a call for us to worship him. There's a call to look to him in these times when we're not we're struggling. Or maybe those around us who are not in this room right now, they need to know that this is a God who makes all things right. That he's come to judge, not in a way that destroys us, not in a way that puts us down, but lifts us up and restores us. And I'm still hoping for that. I'm still hoping that for my, for my, uh, for my parents, um, for my family, and I'm hoping that for a lot of you guys. I'm hoping that for, the, for Stephen, I'm hoping that for Aisha, and for a lot of us who are, who are just struggling right now. I think at this time, we need to worship even more. We need to press in even more to know that this is a rightful God who makes all things right. And it's, it's right for us to continue to worship him and press into this. As we're closing up today, I was, uh, I was tasked for this psalm to be a missional psalm. And I think we see that in the ways that the second part of the, the, the boom, boom, boom kind of thing is a, uh, a, a call for us to go out there and to tell people. Um, and I think we've heard that many times here that we are a missional church. But I want to really develop the, the reason why we're doing this. We're not just going out there because Pastor Stephen told us to or because the Bible says or this or, the, or this and like that. I want us to have a deep, rich understanding about who this rightful God is and why we do it. And the message when we go out there is not just about asking you to commit two hours on Sunday, but that so that you can share life with God. That those around us that are in this church, those in our coworkers, our families, that they need a God who makes all things right. That they need also a God who will bring a new creation for us. And so the mission for us today is for us to first and foremost believe and restore our own hearts to worship God, the rightful God in our own hearts. Is God at the center of our, the, the, uh, on the throne of our hearts today? And then for, after we've really settled that point, can we go out there and share with other people? Maybe it's sharing your testimony like I did. And understand that God is manifest in my life in these sort of ways. All of you have a testimony. All of you have things where you've seen God work through in your life. I mean, you can tell of his marvelous deeds in that way. But in the midst of this, I want us to put God in the right place. Not on the cart, but on our shoulders. Not just because we have to, not because of the nice music genre, because this is a rightful God who is making things right in our lives. And so we want to share that God with those whom we love around us. As we close up, maybe you can take your response card right here. Um, I've honestly kind of went off <laughs> what I was planning on saying. Um, I think as one of the leaders here, I honestly have to apologize. I was really thinking of a way to kind of spur us into uh, deeper uh, worship, but I realized that, you know, um, this is not necessarily the time of deep ambition or trying to improve us. This has been weeks that's just been of deep suffering. And so that's why I kind of took this in a different way. Um, so if you want to look at this right now, I have some um, next steps for us. The first one is I'll humble my heart to worship the rightful God. Maybe some of us do need to do that. Maybe for some of us, we don't have God in the right place of our hearts. He's not center stage. But I'd like to suggest that even a different one. You could even, uh, I would like to suggest to you, I will rest my heart 
and worship in God. So I think for some of us, we need to rest in that first and foremost. That for some of us, our future is bleak, our future is unknown, and we need to rest in the fact that we, we worship a rightful God who is making all things right. And I think with that, then comes the second and third aspects of the next text that I have here. Both of them are pretty similar. I'll usher in new creation by telling others of God uh, or making things right. I didn't really go into the new creation aspect, but what I see here in this song is that because God is making things right, all creation starts to sing at the end. All creation. And so we are tasked to actually bring in this new creation. That for us as Christians, we all press into this right now, um, that for us, we're not living actually back in the time of the psalmist where they're looking for the coming king. The coming king has already come here. He's already died for us. He's already lived amongst us. But not only has he died, he's lived. And once again, he's bringing in a new creation. And so for us, I don't want our dialogue to be that, oh, just Jesus died for our sins. For us to, to stay in the, the, the depravity and the despair that many of us are going through, I'd like to, us to usher in new creation. I'd like to, uh, us to offer, uh, uh, usher in a new chapter for us where we can look and worship God and see what, what God has in store for us in this new time. And I think especially as we're uh, approaching Easter, a time that's not celebrating Jesus' death, but Jesus' resurrection, maybe we can start to hone our minds more in that during this time of despair, we can lift all of each other up together as a community for a new chapter in each of our lives and in, in the, in the chapter of our, uh, of our church. So if you feel that's a call for you, maybe there's someone in this church that you need to reach out to and to love. Um, consider... Um, checking off one of those uh, second or third things, or even writing something in the other section. Maybe it's, uh, I'm sure that even this time, uh, there's people in your lives that are, don't come to Mosaic, or are not people that we see. Um, but I would ask that you would also go out there, that you're not contained to the people of this community, that you would love those who are outside of it. People like your parents, or your coworkers, your friends. In the midst of all of this, <laughs> sorry, I'm just like, yeah, this is a this is a crazy week. Um, this is a mess of a week, right, with all this kind of stuff. And um, I think in the midst of this, we just gotta hold on to the grace of God, right? Um, that uh, when we have people come back, when we have Stephen come back, that we're just holding on and we're still worshiping God in, in a dark and despairing time, knowing that God. He's not done with us, but he's going to make things right. We have to depend on that. Let's pray. Father God, we want to just lift up our hearts to you. We want to lift up the, our hearts that have been far. Ways that we have not worshipped you. Ways that we have uh, just not submitted to you, God. And we want to repent of that and apologize. Not in a way that... Um, is shameful, not in a way that says um, our value is less, but our value is settled on the cross. You loved us and you died for us, God. And so when we repent, we know that you will take us into your arms and you will lift us up, God. We know that this is not the end. Um, there's something new. There's something more. And so, God, we're going to trust in that. We're going to worship you today. We're going to give you the proper glory that you deserve and just wait on you to see how you will judge and how you will make things right. Yeah, there's just, uh, there's just so much going on in our community, but I just pray that we, for every single person inside here and outside, that you continue to be with them. I pray that you would move our hearts today for those of us who have read this text 
that we would reach out, that we would uh, text, and we would call, or we would just be there for people who are just struggling right now. God, convict us, change us to be more and more like you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen.